0: The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who god intended us to be and to realize what our calling is this is coming out of chaos welcome back to the coming out of chaos podcast my name is michael bachlig i am your host and i am joined as always by my co-host and good friend bryce kirk i am currently sitting in the upper room at saint nicholas orthodox church in springdale arkansas But Bryce is not physically in the upper room with me this time. This is the first podcast episode that Bryce and I have ever done where we weren't in the same room with each other since he recently moved away from Northwest Arkansas after graduating with his master's degree from the University of Arkansas. Bryce, I'm very grateful that we can continue recording these podcast episodes over the internet together.
1: Absolutely, Michael, me as well. Um, it's, It's good to be able to do these types of things with the technology that we have, in place today. And um, it's a blessing to continue to do it. So thanks for uh, wanting to keep this going because it's been a good experience. Absolutely. I was wondering, Bryce, how have things been going for you since your move? Pretty well, thank God. Um, I've been doing a ton of uh, strenuous things since grad school ended, but um, I have been able to keep myself busy um, where I'm at. been doing a lot of reading, catching up on things that I haven't been able to read for the last couple of years. And that's really been um, eye-opening. A lot of Orthodox books, uh, a couple of uh, fantasy novels as well, or I guess um, science fiction novels as well. But yeah, it's it's been good. Thank God. So.
0: Well, that's great, Bryce. I, I'm a little bit jealous, I must say. I have a stack of books on my nightstand that I just can't seem to get to. So I'm sure that that's been nice for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it takes time, you know, um, it's, it's kind of trying to figure out where to start, right. Yeah. Cause you've got all this stuff that's been piling up for a long time. Uh, I think both of us have that, uh, beautiful problem together. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's been definitely worth it.
0: Well, I can honestly say, Bryce, things definitely haven't been the same without you around here at St. Nicholas church, but I'm really looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks at the upcoming parish life conference for our diocese in Memphis, Tennessee. I found out yesterday that we are at 316 total registrations for the Parish Life Conference. Wow. And of that number, 30 are coming from St. Nicholas Church here in Springdale. Can you believe that, Bryce?
1: I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, you and I were talking yesterday, Michael. I think we had six total people the last time we had an in-person Parish Life Conference. and yeah. That included our priest and his wife, our, our old priest and his wife. And now, you know, 30 people coming from our parish. Um, that's that's insane. And, you know, being able to finally do this stuff after, you know, the last couple of years of the pandemic, which I mean, it's been hard on everybody, but to be able to be in one place together with so many people from around the Southeast, it's, it's going to be a beautiful experience, God willing. And I remember when you and I went a couple of years back at 2019, um, you and I really got to know each other there and just the experience, the people that we met um, and the basically the foundation of the Antiochian men board that we're both a part of still was yeah. uh, was at that time so it's amazing and I'm I'm thankful to, that we're at this point
0: yeah, it's, it's going to be great. And in this case, now in Memphis, having the Parish Life Conference there, it's only a five-hour drive from here. We drove a long 16-plus hours to get to mm-hmm. Raleigh, so it's, it's going to be nice that it's closer to our church, and we really have no excuse. So I'm, I'm really encouraged to see that we have 30 people already registered from our parish and over 300 overall. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bryce, we have a big topic to talk about today, The title of this podcast episode is When Demons Attack, and that's a bit of a foreboding title, to say the least. I must admit, I had some apprehension about even recording this episode, but this may be one of the most important ones that we have done thus far. The truth is, there is a lot of evil in the world, which means there's a lot of demonic activity. We see evidence of that all around us. In recent weeks, there have been multiple mass shootings here in the United States, and they have dominated a lot of the news cycle. In just the last two and a half weeks, there have been five mass shootings in the U.S. On May 14th, a shooter who was clad in body armor opened fire at a top supermarket, killing 10, including a security guard, and wounded three others. The following day on May 15th, one person was fatally shot and five others were injured in a shooting at a church in Orange County, California. Then four days after that, two people were fatally shot and eight others were critically injured in a shooting near a McDonald's restaurant in Chicago, Illinois. Then on May 24th, 19 children and three adults were killed and 18 were injured in a shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. And just yesterday, five people were killed, including the shooter, following an active shooter situation at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, I don't want to get into a political discussion about this. God knows there are plenty of people out there who are politicizing these mass shootings. But as we have said in previous episodes, the church must be above politics. If you look at the two most deadly shootings of the five I just mentioned, both shooters were 18-year-old males. The shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, was eerily similar to another mass shooting that happened almost 10 years ago at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. That shooter was a 20-year-old male. And who could forget the Columbine High School massacre perpetrated by two high school seniors ages 18 and 17. Bryce, you were probably a teenager when the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting happened, right?
1: Yeah, um, I remember it was a Friday. I believe I was a sophomore in high school. I went to a small uh, parochial Lutheran high school at the time uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I remember our principal gathered everybody in kind of the main hall. I think we had, it was a very, very small school, but he got everybody together. And I remember he was in tears talking to us and I was just in shock. Um, I mean, I was very, very little when 9-11 happened, but that was, I mean, it was such an event that it's it's one of those things where you don't forget where you were. You're always going to remember that and you're always going to remember the emotions that came to mind, yeah. Um, you know, like I, I have uh, nieces and nephews, you know, young kids and seeing that this was an elementary school where this happened. I mean, that was an evil, evil thing that happened. And it was, I can't even imagine, you know, being a parent in that situation and what happened there. You know, I mean, it was, it was awful to say the least. Uh, There's no amount of words that I could say that describe how terrible of an event that was, but seeing in recent events, what's going on. I remember how I felt when I was, you know, 15 or 16 years old, seeing these things and now seeing them as an adult and I'm speechless almost because it's, it's awful. Yeah. You know, it, it hits you in your soul. Um, and just, imagining, you know, being a family member of anybody involved in those situations. I mean, it's, that's an awful thing to even contemplate, you know? Yeah,
0: I completely agree. And I, I honestly remember feeling the same way when that happened, the, the Newtown school shooting. And now we have another one that just happened last week. And and you use the word evil. You know, I think most people would describe these mass shootings as evil acts, but what's really causing these males in their late teens and early 20s to carry out these horrific acts of violence? Could it have to do with the spiritual crisis that young men and teenagers are facing in our culture today that we've talked about in this podcast? What would possess a person to want to kill as many people as possible and even to go as far as to target children, Bryce?
1: Uh, that's that's a couple of heavy questions there, my friend. Um, man, I, I wish I knew, I understand, you know, a lot of people, they feel disconnected from the world that they're a part of and, and they feel like they don't belong in it and that nothing matters, you know, but the concept of nihilism, there's, there's no point to anything, right? There's no truth. There's, there's nothing like that. And I think a lot of young men, um, they find themselves in these situations and they choose to act out on them violently and they, they choose evil Yeah, and they don't have, uh, I don't know how to describe this, but they don't have the right outlet. Yeah. You know, this is, it's an uncomfortable topic because I don't know, I can't get into their mind.
0: Yeah. And none of us really can. I think what you said about nihilism though is a really, important point because it seems like nihilism is really spreading, especially among young adults, uh, but even teenagers, it seems like nihilism is, is spreading and becoming more intense to the point where this philosophy of nothing matters. People are really buying into that. And then they're taking action, evil action.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, you know, like their motivations, I wish, I wish I could not understand them, but like, where, like, how do you get that idea in your head? Yeah. That you want to go and kill people, especially killing children. I don't understand that. Yeah. And I I don't think anybody really can, any sane, normal person can. But, um, and obviously, you and I are not experts on this.
0: We're not. And I would say that we have had experiences, though, with, talking to a lot of the men in the diocese concerned for their teenage children. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially, you know, boys that are being brought up and born into the chaos, so to speak, you know, father Hans recently gave a talk at the winter retreat and he said, you know, for the most part, especially our young adults and and those younger, we've been born into the chaos. So we don't know anything other than that. We don't remember what it was like 70 years ago, right. When, this country was a lot different. The culture was a lot different. Yeah. And things have really changed very drastically since then. But I also find it interesting that, you know, you always hear about the fact that, you know, some of these shooters, including the one from, you know, Texas that we were talking about, came from a broken home, had disconnected from his parents, didn't have a strong father influence. Yeah. You know, this is the kind of stuff, Bryce, we've been talking about this in this podcast and in the Antiochian Men. And this is kind of the result of an extreme outcome of that situation where you don't have a strong father figure. You don't have any strong male mentors in your life and you become isolated.
1: Yeah. It, it tends to be, yeah, it tends to be that way. Like, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, uh, especially in the 1970s, you know, you had quite a few serial killers out and about. Right. Uh, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, among others. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily say that was a, it wasn't a national security concern, but I'm sure it was on the minds of people and it, uh, it, it drew the public interest. And if you look at serial killers when they're young, right, they oftentimes come from homes that are not the healthiest. Yeah. Oftentimes it could be single parent households. It could be. Whatever they tend to abuse animals or they tend to abuse other people. Yep. And now in the modern day, obviously serial killers still exist. It's oftentimes that they're not caught until years after they commit their crimes. But in the modern day, the main thing that we have in the news cycle, as far as um, violent acts, violent crimes are concerned, is 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 mass shootings. Um, and a lot of those young, and most of them are men, nearly all of them are a lot of the young men that, that find themselves committing these atrocious acts. They have similar childhood upbringings that serial killers did, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and I was also kind of wondering too, as, as I was listening to the news cycle and, and thinking about, you know, the spiritual elements involved, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of asking themselves, How does faith play into this? And specifically, what role, if any, do demons play in evil acts, such as mass shootings? So before we begin to try to answer that question, let's shift our focus to the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about angels. After all, demons are fallen angels. We have the names of some of the angels from Holy Scripture, and most of us have heard of the archangels Michael and Gabriel, but there are others. But let's start with Saint Michael, who happens to be my patron saint. In the Orthodox Church, we refer to the Archangel Michael as Saint Michael, because if you really think about it, angels were the original saints. Lucifer and his angels rebelled, but there were many angels that stayed loyal to God. By choosing to stay loyal, they chose to be saints, and are examples to all of us just like human saints are. So calling the Archangel Michael Saint Michael is very appropriate. In fact, there are many Orthodox churches that are called St. Michael Church, with the Archangel Michael as their patron saint. One of those churches is the church that my father happens to be assigned as the pastor, St. Michael Orthodox Church in Van Nuys, California. Their church website includes a description of St. Michael. And Bryce, would you mind reading that description?
1: The name Michael signifies who is like God, and was the war cry of the good angels in the battle fought in heaven against Satan and his followers. An angel of repentance, mercy, and righteousness, Holy Scripture describes St. Michael as one of the chief princes and leader of the forces of heaven in their triumph over the powers of hell. He has been especially honored and invoked as patron and protector by the church from the time of the apostles. Although he is always called the archangel, the church fathers and many others place him over all the angels as prince of the seraphim. St. Michael appears in the books of Enoch, Daniel, and Revelation. In fact, In Revelation, it is St. Michael leading the charge against Satan with an army of God's angels.
0: You know, Bryce, I've always loved that description of St. Michael and especially the name meaning who is like God. You know, that being the war cry is essentially saying to Lucifer and his angels, who do you think you are? Because they essentially thought, and especially Lucifer, thought that he could be equal to God. Yeah. And that kind of audacity, right? Having that kind of audacity is really uh, it, it can be shocking, and, and Saint Michael had the appropriate response. Who is like God? It, it is essentially saying, "Who
1: do you think you are? Right. Do you really think you are equal with Almighty God?" Right, and you know, in our iconography, he's oftentimes depicted with the sword. Yeah, right. He's depicted with a sword that signifies his, I guess, his rank. Right, like his his function. What he what he continually does.
0: Exactly. It's, it's his job to be essentially a warrior and a leader of angels in, in battles against the devil and his
1: demons. Mm-hmm.
0: There's also an excerpt from the book of Revelation that follows that description on the same page of that website. Would you mind reading that too, Bryce?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is from Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him.
0: So we are given a very clear description of who the archangel Michael is, and what his role is as prince of the seraphim and leader of the forces of heaven. We just heard you read, Bryce, from the book of Revelation, that the devil was hurled down to earth and his angels with him. Those angels have now become demons, and they operate and interact among us in this world. We may not be able to see them, but they are there. Human beings in this world rarely catch a glimpse of what a demon actually looks like. And there are a lot of people that don't even think that demons or the devil really exist, because they can't see them. Mm -hmm. There's a great quote from Father Thomas Hopko of Blessed Memory about the devil. He once said something in his Speaking the Truth in Love podcast, that has always stuck in my mind. He said, the devil, Diablos, it means the one who divides, the one who separates. The word Diablos is the opposite of the word Symbolos, a symbol. A symbol brings everything together in harmony. That's why we call the creed a symbol of faith. A symbol is something that brings together realities in harmony and unity. Diablos, devil, is that which divides and separates. So that is how the devil and the demons begin their attacks against us. They seek to divide us. They want to isolate us and to convince us that we are individuals and not persons in communion with each other. You know, one of the things that a lot of those people who commit mass shootings have in common, as we were talking about, is that many of them are isolated, or they isolate themselves. They disconnect from others, including their schools, their families, their coworkers, really anyone in their community. When we withdraw from community, being in communion with others, we become weak and we become even more vulnerable to demonic attacks.
1: You know, Michael, reading that passage from Father Hopko's podcast transcript, I was thinking about in the book of Matthew, when Christ is talking regarding the man who's who's possessed with the devil. You know, Mm -hmm. he's he's made blind and dumb, and he ends up casting this you know, demon out of the man. Right. Yeah. And the, and the Pharisees hear this and they say that, you know, he, he, he doesn't cast out devils because he works for Beelzebub. He works for Satan. Right. Right. And this verse 25, this is King James version and Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Mm. Right? Satan divides all of us. He is the divider. He is a divisive element. I think when we tend to withdraw from the world or we withdraw from our communities, it can be difficult to stay on the path. Obviously, the monastics monastic tradition they tend to go out into the desert yeah they tend to go out in their life of prayer and that isn't in the same manner of withdrawing from the world because you're afraid of it I suppose hmm. they withdraw because they they pray yeah. constantly they fight these battles all the time and you know I, I definitely think that in isolation when people are just drawn away from one another, they can become easy to get picked off. Think of it like this. If an alpha predator is hunting prey. Mm -hmm. So if a wolf, if a pack of wolves is hunting bison in Montana, they're looking for that one that's going to stray away from the main herd. Yeah. And they're going to take him out. He might be weaker. He might be smaller, whatever it may be. They're going to take him out. And, in the same way, you know, Satan is described as roaring lion, right? He's he's on the prowl. He's looking for prey. And if somebody's separated from the herd, lack of a better term, if somebody's separated from their community, they do become more vulnerable.
0: Yeah, Bryce, and, and as we're being divided, if we if we really allow ourselves to be divided and to believe that we're just individuals, you know, we, we have this mentality sometimes where maybe if we believe the devil exists or that demons are out there, that we try to, to attack them one-on-one. But, but the problem is you can't defeat the devil one-on-one, and you're going to lose. The devil is just simply too powerful for a single human being to try to go up against him toe-to-toe. But that doesn't mean that we can't fight back. We just need to be in communion with God and with others if we want to win the fight. And the fight can be won. Now, just being in community with others doesn't mean that we're immune to demonic attacks. It doesn't mean that at all. It may just take different forms if we try to do it as individuals. Also, the closer we get to God and to living a godly life, the more the demons will attack us. Something else that Father Thomas Hopko once said was that if a person wanted to know if demons really exist, he or she just needs to live the gospel, and the demons will show up. And I can speak from experience that that is 100% true, and it can sometimes lead to very terrifying experiences. But when that happens, it's actually a sign that we're onto something. It's actually a good thing. And if and when that happens, it is a gift from God that he is allowed to happen to strengthen our faith.
1: You know, one thing I remember in my evangelical, my former evangelical confession was there was this kind of, there was kind of this idea that if you were suffering, if you had issues, you know, if something was continually nagging at you, that you were doing it wrong,
0: mm.
1: right? That, you know, there was a very, very simple way to alleviate that pressure. And that was, you know, oh, you know, pray, read your Bible, which of course you do those things, but at the same time, our our suffering can be a gift. And that's why it's important to engage in something guarding your heart, right? We need to be constantly vigilant, which in the Antiochian men, that's one of the uh, words in our acronym, L-O-V-E, love is vigilance. And that's not just in the sense of constantly looking over your shoulder. But I I like to think of it like when I first learned how to drive, I was looking straight at the road. I wasn't checking anything else, right? And if I kept doing that pattern, odds are I would have been hit myself or I might've hit somebody or I might've ran a stop sign. But as you continually learn to drive a car your eyes are always moving. Yeah. You're checking your speed. You're checking your blinker. You're checking your mirrors. You know, you're checking You're, ch- you're checking everything, right?
0: You got to keep your head on a swivel, right?
1: Exactly. And not in a paranoid type of way, not in a fearful type of way, but in a, I need to do this so I can get to where I'm going. Yeah. So that I can continue on the path. And, you know, I think that when somebody begins to live this life, Right, and even if they've they've done it before, and they fell down on their face, and they got back up again, as we all will continue to do throughout the entirety of our lives, um, I think, I think being onto something, you know, living the gospel, right, living a life of repentance, living a life of vigilance, you begin to see things kind of seep in, mm. right, and we may discuss this later on, perhaps in this episode or in another one, but the idea of your thoughts are not necessarily your own thoughts. Yeah. So when you're on this path, you can be assailed by various thoughts. And that happens to me pretty frequently, you know, I'm, I'm a thinker, I suppose, right? Maybe too much. And a lot of these thoughts, a lot of this anxiety gets to me, right? Like some of these things you can create a shield in a way through your vigilance, but some things can get through that shield. Yeah. And if you are continually assailed with temptations, perhaps you are on the right path, right? Because the devil will continually attack you if you're trying to get closer to God, right? And if, and if you're not, I'm not going to say he necessarily leaves you alone, but he's like, I got this guy where I want him.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's really no wonder then why demons attack us more when we take our spiritual life seriously and get closer to God. Because if someone is living a sinful life, If he or she is cooperating with the demons in their actions, the demons, like you said, they already have them. You know, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, who we had on as a guest recently, he has said on the Lord of Spirits podcast that this can be called demonosis, which is a word I think he kind of made up. You know, we talk a lot about theosis in the Orthodox Church, which we've described as becoming more like God. But there is a flip side to that. You know, on the other side of the spectrum, if somebody participates in the activities of the demons, they become more like the demons.
1: Yeah, I think as you know, you you begin to like move away from a virtuous life or a life where you're more vigilant then you're going to behave as the demons would like you to do, right? Like you can engage in any of the seven uh, mortal activities, I suppose. So pride, like you can become excessively prideful because the demons are prideful. You can fast for reasons that are vain. Yeah. Right. Anything like that.
0: It's just like getting mixed up with the wrong crowd, right? If you're mixed up with some really bad characters, you're going to become more like them,
1: right? Right. It's, uh, I remember people always used to say you're kind of a sum of the people who you hang around. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and the truth is the demons don't really need to attack the people who are already cooperating with them because they essentially already have them in their grips. But what happens when someone starts to repent? We should really think about this. What happens when someone turns away from the devil and darkness and instead turns towards the light of Christ? The demons are going to be furious, right? I mean, demons love attention. They want to destroy us. But why do demons hate us so much? Have you ever really thought about that? I have learned that one of the biggest reasons that the demons hate us as human beings is we've been given time as a gift from God so that we can repent. And the demons aren't capable of repentance. Now, why is that? It is because they made an eternal decision. Their decision to rebel against God was essentially blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but done eternally. Their rebellion against God was a decision that wasn't made in this temporal world. And as we read earlier out of the book of Revelation, they were hurled down to earth, but this world is bound by linear time. In Greek, this is called Kronos time. The eternal time of God is called Kairos time in Greek. Basically, in Kairos time, the past, the present, and the future are all the same. So we as human beings exist in Kronos time while we are alive in this world, and God exists in Kairos time. So after the demons lost their place in heaven, they were hurled down to earth, and they interact with us while we are alive in this world. They know that they have lost the war against God, and they are now waiting for their final and eternal punishment while trying to take as many of us down with them as possible. So why does God allow the demons to exist among us and interact with us in this world before the final judgment?
1: I think it brings to mind again another passage from Matthew, where I believe the Pharisees are slandering Jesus, you know, saying he hangs out with sinners, you know, tax collectors, the like, right? And he says, "I came not to save the righteous, but call sinners to repentance." Mm, yeah, and it's the exact reason of why we need a savior. It's the exact reason of why Christ destroyed death through his death and resurrection. I suppose it's because temptations kind of prove your metal Mm. in a way. Um,
0: it's required for purification for our purification.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it isn't a sin to be tempted, right? Like the demons will attempt to tempt us. Yeah. Um, but when we give into those temptations and when we fall flat on our face, as we all will continue to do, we get up and we engage in repentance. And that is a lifelong activity for all of us. And thank God for the sacrament of confession, right? We're able to constantly engage in this thing. Um, which brings to mind, I believe there was a, a quote you had from Bishop Basil regarding your baptismal garment, right? Being yeah. completely white. And, each, I guess, sin we commit is kind of a, a spot on yep. that garment, and going to confession is washing it clean.
0: Yeah, Bryce, and and the, the truth is that God can use the demons to bring people to repentance, and it's really such an important point for people to realize, is that a lot of times the demons, they think that they've got us, or they think that they're going to take us away from God, but sometimes people just need to experience suffering to wake them up. I know I can relate to that. You know, there was a time when I was kind of sleepwalking through most of life, and it wasn't until I experienced a real crisis and went through some real suffering that it really woke me up. And this is such an important point, the way that the demons are essentially used by God. They they can't escape the will of God. They have to submit to it. Sometimes, God uses evil acts and evil situations and turns it into something good, and we hear about this all the time in the lives of many of the saints. I know, Bryce, you and I have talked about this a lot, and you know, one saint that comes to mind is St. Mary of Egypt. She lived an extremely sinful life, but then had a life-changing experience that drove her to live in extreme repentance. St. Mary was someone who chose to cooperate with the activities of the demons in the early part of her life. But then she literally changed her mind and spent years in the desert focused on becoming godlike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She has one of the most powerful stories I've ever read, um, period. You know, within <laughs> yeah. the context of the church or, or outside of that. Um, and, and, you know, being able to read that this year during Great Lent, oh my goodness, like the life that she lived beforehand compared to when she realized what she was doing and her repentance. I mean, she was gung-ho about it. Yeah. And the one thing that stood out to me about that was her humility throughout all of it. I remember reading it when Saint Mary encounters uh, Saint Zosimos in in the desert. And they're both (laughs) constantly bowing, prostrating to one another. Yeah. You know, please bless me. No, you bless me. No you but like the whole (laughs) like the humility there was incredible. And, you know, like King David as well. Yeah. Um, his, his fall, you know, taking another man's wife, sending him to the front of the military line so he could be killed in action. So he could take his wife and quote unquote, not feel bad about it. And then he is confronted by Nathaniel who tells him you need to confess this sin. Yeah. And he does. And there's a consequence for what he's done, but he repents of it, mm-hmm. right? Like this is this is the psalmist, this is the man who is after God's own heart, yeah. who fell to such a degree, right? And there's so so many examples of people throughout time who lived very worldly lives, who lived according to the passions, who lived according to their own, you know, who lived according to the beat of their own drum. And God gave him a wake-up call in one form or another,
0: yeah, Saints like Saint. Mary of Egypt and also the Prophet and King David, you know those stories are very inspiring. and especially to all of us who are sinners and who need to repent, it, those those stories of the saints are things that we can look to, models that we can follow to repent from our own sins. I think it's important though, to realize that there are demons working against us throughout our whole lives. and but it's important to remember that demons have limitations. First of all, demons can't see into the future. How do we know this? Well, just think about it. If a demon knew that tempting us as human beings to engage in some evil actions would drive some of us to repentance and to Christ, they wouldn't have tempted us in the first place. Having said that, let's go to Scripture for some more insights. Let's stay in the book of Matthew. Bryce, why don't you read Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to
1: 32. When he, he being Jesus, had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water.
0: Many of us Orthodox Christians are familiar with this portion of Matthew's gospel. There have been many sermons that have been preached on this section of Scripture. The reaction that the demons had to the presence of Christ is really interesting to me. They seem to be in a state of panic. What they ask Jesus is so telling too. They ask, "Have you come to torment us before the time?" Now, what on earth does that mean, Bryce?
1: Uh, to put it simply, they know they're going to lose. They they know who he is, right? <laughs> but he's he's God. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty terrifying from their point of view, right? Yeah, and and they're under the impression that oh, they have. A lot of time Mm. to take down as many people as they possibly can. But they've been permitted by God to exist on earth until their final judgment. And this is the time that is referred to in this part of scripture. And that's important for us to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, and the fact that the demons asked Christ if he had come to torment them before their final judgment shows that they can't see into the future. They know they've already lost, like you said. They know what awaits them but they don't know for certain what will happen in the future in this world as a result of their actions and their interactions with human beings. Now they have a lot of experience dealing with humans. They have existed for many, many generations, studying us as humans, studying our weaknesses and exploiting them. Demons can make an educated guess as to what will happen when they apply certain stimuli to humans, such as through thoughts and feelings, and they know how we will be likely to respond. This reminds me of something that Father Michael, Mark, and Tony talked about in our 10th podcast episode called On the Battlefield. Let's play a clip from that episode to refresh our memories.
2: If the things that puppeteer me around in my emotions are the ultimate benchmark, my, my God, for that I'm that I'm serving because my feelings are facts, then my truth has to be relative to those feelings. And if my feelings are fleeting, then the truth is fleeting. And that's how we get into relativism. So what ends up happening is that you have to choose the things that are convenient for you. When you choose the things that are convenient for you, love goes out the window. Why? Because ultimately you're only seeking to spare yourself from inevitable discomfort. And when you're only seeking to spare yourself from disappointment and discomfort, all manner of cruelty is suddenly on the table. You can suddenly take time from your kids or indulge Uh, I mean, you know, or, or, you know, indulge in chemical numbing or an affair or being the wrong places on the Internet or whatever else or money laundering, or gambling. I mean, it really doesn't matter. You can justify all manner of things because this is what I need to feel better. Love goes off the table because. It, because suddenly the way this might be harming you, the way this might be hurting you, the way my own uh, my own exemplifying the standards of the gospel to you, suddenly all of that is less important than getting my fix.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's I mean, he he hits the nail on the head, you know, when your feelings become your own personal truth. Right. Right. Everything else is out the window. Yeah. It's not about reality around you. It's not necessarily even the reality of your situation, the reality of the suffering or perceived suffering that you may be going through. It's about how can I alleviate this in the fastest way possible? You're not thinking five steps ahead. You're thinking right now. It's immediate gratification.
0: And you're not thinking about how it affects others.
1: No, absolutely not. Like, you know, there's this concept that in the Orthodox Church of there is no Such thing as private sin, Hmm. right? Everything that I do impacts my relationships. It impacts myself. It impacts other people around me. And I think, you know, the last thing that he says when, you know, the way my own exemplifying the standards of the gospel that becomes more important than getting your fix, I think you begin to understand yourself more through that, right? Yeah. Like anytime you're faced with temptation, if you immediately jump into it, And you say i gotta do this because it sounds like a good idea right yeah it makes you kind of risk averse in a way because i would argue that it is more risky it takes more tenacity to live the gospel right and that's something that i struggle with myself i don't want to come across as a hypocrite but you know there are times when i'm facing a struggle and I'd, i'd rather go and get away from it somehow yeah But I always have to come back to it. And in facing your trouble, being able to do that with the gospel, being able to do that with the church, that matters more. And that is where you learn more about yourself, and that's where you learn more about your neighbor, and that's where you learn more about life itself, I think.
0: Yeah, that's so true, Bryce. You know, there's another big takeaway from that podcast episode. The way that the demons want to overload us so that we'll turn away from God Also, Father Michael said that when we're not relying on our feelings, you open the door for love. You do the right thing regardless of how you're feeling. For example, our men's group here at St. Nicholas Church just recently helped a few different families with moving. Our men organized together to help those families who were in need, and one of those families was an elderly couple who couldn't afford movers and who couldn't do the work themselves. One of them is wheelchair-bound. I'll be honest, I didn't feel like moving on the days that I helped out. But I mean, who really looks forward to and enjoys moving? Do you enjoy moving, Bryce?
1: Not in the slightest. <laughs> I don't We've think many
0: it, do, right?
1: <laughs> done it probably five times in the last six years. Like it's it's rough.
0: It also makes you uh, not want to have very many possessions when you're moving that often, right? <laughs>
1: Right, right, and you know it—it's a burden. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, you know, and it's something you just want to get done quick. Yeah, moving
0: is not fun. I mean, I wasn't feeling it on those days, but you know, I did it anyway. And that's not to brag. That's right. just saying that's an example of love. It's doing the right thing even when you're not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And as Father Michael said in that podcast episode, you know, Christ Himself wasn't feeling it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but He said, "Not my will, but Thy will be done." I mean, what an incredible example of what we're talking about. Showing someone the love of God through your actions involves doing the right thing, even if we're not feeling it in that moment. I want to play another clip from that same podcast episode, and this time it's something that Father Joseph Collins said that I think is really
3: important. When you turn on the TV and all you see is stuff on COVID, guns, you know this catastrophe that catastrophe um we have been programmed over the decades to to have a reaction to that at the autonomous level it just built in so we no longer spend our our capital on thinking those things through and then we become emotive toward it because just when i said gun you probably had an emotional reaction to that abortion emotional reaction COVID-19, you emoted immediately, and you didn't want to, you didn't try to, it just happened, because you've been conditioned to do so. But why did you emote, I think, is the bigger question. And uh, there's, there's a Catholic priest who's an exorcist who talks about it, and he's the one that said fear is the perception of a future evil, which cannot be overcome. So, so you're, put into these, you're put into these thought loops that elicit fearful responses because COVID 19. Well, I'm afraid of losing my family. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of X, Y, Z, you know, so and so on. And then you're put into this loop where you cannot overcome that future evil. And that future evil is put on you every day, all day on radio, on social media, in the echo chamber of Facebook, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. It doesn't matter you're put into an eternal loop of an unovercome you can of a future that cannot be overcome and the demons understand that and they use it so that by the end of the day you are literally an emotional wreck who cannot reasonably think through your emotions because you're exhausted you become physically exhausted because all day every day that slow part of your mind is so taxed by the thousands of decisions and and the having to, to react to all of the fear and all of the emotions that are being put on you subliminally and without you even thinking about it, that you're just literally an emotional wreck. So they do manipulate that. The demons do have access to your emotions, because like Father Michael said, they're they're physical, they're material. And if you don't think that the demons will use your emotions against you, you're a fool.
1: I think people are looking for things to get angry about, right? And anger, if used correctly, is not a bad thing, right? The the concept of righteous anger. Mm -hmm. But constantly being angry about what's going on in the news or constantly being anxious about what's going on in the news, right? There are things within our control. There are things within our grasp that we can deal with, you know, these are small little things, right? Like uh, I'm anxious about my grass being too high in the yard. Well, I can go out and mow it. I can do that. But if I'm anxious about COVID-19 restrictions, or if I'm anxious about, you know, the potential threat of war or terrorism or anything like that, those are things that are out of our control. And I think every little thing like that, especially when we realize it, it can, really drive into our psyche, like a lot of young people that I've known in my life, being a young man still, you know, during COVID, there was, it seemed like there was an uptick of anxiety among everybody, but especially young people. And when you're trapped in these type of threads of anxiety, your mind gets closed off to reality, right? And your emotions can be used against you, they absolutely can be because you can also take a position where you believe that you are better than everybody else because you took a certain moral stance on something. Whether that moral stance was actually right or not, you probably don't know, but it made you feel good, right? It made you stand on your high horse. And, you know, I mean, Father Joseph mentioned the echo chamber of Facebook yeah, or Instagram or Twitter or whatever social media service you use you know, I see my peers around me, they have opinions and they get fired up about things. And a lot of these things they can't control. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of, I mean, you get exhausted, man, like reading it, engaging in it. And it it makes you forget your own self. It makes you forget your own struggles. Um, And I, I think a lot of people do they get a thrill out of getting angry about something. Yeah. Right. Like I don't watch the news cause I know it'll anger me. I know it'll be on my mind too much. Yeah. And I just, I think, I think people get caught in this, this mindset, you know, and that, and that happens to us too. Like it happens to everybody, but being able to be self-aware of it, being able to counteract against it, that's, that's where it starts. That's where the fight starts.
0: Yeah, that is where the fight starts, and and that's the perfect segue to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is how we fight back against the demons. How do we actually fight back against the demons? Are we just sitting ducks? Can we actually go on offense? To answer these questions, I want to start out by reading a quote from the book St. Paisios of Mount Athos by Hieromonk Isaac, which is a biography of St. Paisios, who is called Elder Paisios, or the Elder in the book. Before I read the quote, I just have to say that that book is truly amazing. It was a life-changing experience for me to read that book. Here is the quote. The elder used to say the following about the war against the devil. The devil is good at what he does. If you hit a dog a couple of times, it leaves. You hit the devil over and over, but there he is again. He will not go away. We just have to ignore him and not give him the right to interfere in our lives. He just makes a scene, laughs, and wastes his breath. Nobody is afraid of the devil then. You do not see a wild dog, you see a weak puppy. When the elder speaks of hitting the devil, he refers to prayer. Unholy spirits, says St. John of the Ladder, will flee as from fire when scourged by prayer. There are many stories in that book that talk about the appearances of demons to St. Paisios, and in many cases they would disappear after he had said the Jesus prayer. One tool that many of us in the Orthodox Church use is something called a prayer rope. A lot of Orthodox Christians wear one of these on their wrists, not just at church, but every day. Bryce, I know you've used a prayer rope before. Would you mind sharing how you and others use their prayer rope in conjunction with the Jesus prayer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have a small, I think it's a 32 or a 33 bead on my wrist. And Michael, I know you're a fan of the 50 or 100 (laughs) uh, knot. Prayer ropes. I sure am. Um, Yourself, which I need to acquire one of those soon. But um, as it was taught to me, holding it in my left hand and praying through each bead, saying the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And going through the whole thing, being contemplative, right? Not just saying it to say it, but putting all the energy that you have at your disposal into saying it. Every time I do that, I kind of get recentered. Hmm. For the most part, right? Like anything that may be bothering me at the moment would <laughs> I'm not going to say it would go away, but I would have a better understanding of it. Yeah. And it's not it's not magic at all. That's it's not what we believe, but it's it's a matter of recentering yourself, right? Contemplative doing these things and instead of choosing a distraction. Like oh, I'm going to go watch a YouTube video for an hour, Yeah, right? A prayer rope is a much better way to kind of recenter yourself. Yeah, and St.
0: Paisios himself spoke about the use of prayer ropes or prayer beads as he called them. I'd like to share another quote and a related story on this topic next. St. Paisios of the Holy Mountain used to say, remember that a good soldier leaving the trench always holds a machine gun in his hands. Prayer beads have great power. It is a monk's weapon, and the knots are bullets that knock down demons. These words are evidenced by the following story. Once a monk from St. Paul Monastery on Athos went to Ciphonia to visit St. Gerasimus, who possessed the gift of casting out demons. During the Divine Liturgy, this monk stood at the altar and prayed the Jesus Prayer with his prayer beads. During the service, a demoniac was brought to the church so that St. Gerasimus would heal him. Suddenly, the demon's voice was heard in the church, shouting, Hey, you monk, stop pulling this rope. It burns me. Hearing this, the celebrating priest turned to the monk and said, Brother, pray with all your might that this creation of God may be freed from the demon. The demon then shouted even more ferociously, Hey, you old preacher, why are you telling him to keep pulling his rope? Haven't you heard that it burns me? Then the monk began to read his prayers even more fervently, until finally the man tormented by a demon was freed from him.
1: Wow, that's, uh, as the kids put it, that's a pretty metal story.
0: It sure is.
1: (laughs) Doesn't that sound intense? I mean, it brings to mind, for me, this concept of spiritual warfare, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, saying the prayers, putting that effort forth, you know, I mean, it says this monk began to read his prayers even more fervently. Yeah. Until the man was, was freed by the demon that was tormenting him. It, it just brings to mind man like the the power that 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 those words have the power that the prayer has yeah that communication with god right thinking
0: of the prayer rope as essentially bullets in a machine gun right
1: yeah <laughs> that's that's intense man and to be you know having that power on your wrist right or in your pocket yeah at your prayer corner like it's at your disposal
0: Yeah, it really is. And you know, we hear these kinds of stories from the monastics and it can really make an impression on us. I mean, just hearing that story, it made an impression on me. There are so many incredible stories like that one that are so compelling and so vivid, and they can give us important lessons and information about how we can fight back against the demons, even if we're not monks. Also, don't think that the monks are invincible to demonic attack. Remember when I said the closer you get to God, the more the demons attack? The monastics are great examples of this. They actually engage in hand-to-hand combat with demons on a regular basis. Bryce, why don't you share this great quote that we have from Amma Theodora.
1: Amma Theodora said that neither asceticism nor vigils nor any kind of suffering are able to save. Only true humility can do that. There was an anchorite who was able to banish the demons, and he asked them, What makes you go away? Is it fasting? They replied, We do not eat or drink. Is it vigils? They replied, We do not sleep. Is it separation from the world? We live in deserts. Then what power sends you away? They said, Nothing can overcome us, only humility. Alma Theodora concluded by saying, Do you see how humility is victorious over the demons? Wow. I mean,
0: that really makes you think, Bryce. And it really helps to reframe the battleground for spiritual warfare. There's one more quote that I want to read, and this has always been one of my favorites. You know, the Orthodox Church has so many quotes and stories from the church fathers that have been handed down, and this one has, again, just always stood out in my mind. I actually first heard this quote in the Our Life in Christ podcast on Ancient Faith Radio with hosts Steve Robinson and Bill Gold. Here's the quote. There was a monk who was known for his profound humility. One day, an angel of light appeared in his cell, announcing that he had found favor with God and was promising some extraordinary reward. The monk simply replied, I'm sorry, you've obviously come to the wrong cell. Perhaps you are looking for one of those monks over in the next valley. The angel changed his appearance into an evil demon, then
1: vanished. What do you say to that, Bryce? <laughs> I mean, it just proves uh, Ama Theodora's point yeah. that humility that's not something that they can replicate, right? Because they're, they're prideful.
0: Yeah. And it shows, it shows how the demons will even go after the monastics and those who have reached such a high level of asceticism, they go after their pride, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, trying to flatter the monastics, you know, for their extreme humility, trying to pervert a beautiful thing in order to make somebody fall. But I mean, this, this quote, which I believe is from uh, the Wisdom of the Desert Fathers, is—I mean, he just hits it like it's the ultimate quip, in a way. Yeah, and he doesn't do it because you know he's he's necessarily trying to own the demon, but he he's genuinely being humble. He's genuinely exhibiting humility. In his action, there.
0: Yeah, and that's what honestly is what can undo the demonic attack is that humility. And that's a great lesson for us. But the truth is, most of us are not monastics, right? Especially those listening to this podcast. We're lay people, we're living in the world and not in monastic communities. So I want to bring us back to a more practical perspective now. Going back to that on the battlefield podcast episode that we did. Father Michael, Mark, Tony shared something very profound and very practical. We're going to play that clip for you all right now.
2: So when you're sitting down at your breakfast table and you're absolutely irritated and your son does that thing that you've told him a million times to knock it off and you are assailed by the thought that he's never going to respect you and listen to you and that you're spinning your wheels and how dare he? And you know what? You want to put a stop to this. And suddenly you're riled up and you lose your cool. I'm not saying I'm not trying to put some spin on everyday events, say, treat it like it's this great battle with the spiritual world when it's really just a psychological mess that you've got to control. No, 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 no. I'm saying that it actually is spiritual trench warfare. It's not a metaphor. You are butting up against the radio signal from demons that have your number, that know I can push your buttons and get you to blow up at your son, which is then going to ingrain in him a temper, which is going to cause him to beat your grandson. And I can mire your family in destructive sin for generations. And all I got to do is get you to hand over your self-autonomy and be dictated by your feelings, yank you around like a puppet on the strings rather than be led by the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Likewise, that little voice that also says, take a breath, calm down, go say a prayer, wait two seconds, and then explain it to him again calmly. Or you know what? You are too close to blame. Go for a drive. Like that's not just, oh, I had a good idea. We got to start recognizing the voice of the angelic power saying, hey, right now, you need to step aside because we're trying to keep the spiritual condition of this family you've been entrusted with safe. It's not like a metaphor. It's not a figure of speech. It's not putting a spiritual veneer around mundanity. It's realizing that this mundane thing going on in between your ears is, in fact, the trench warfare, that if you don't engage well on the battlefield of your mind and heart, can poorly shape your the children, their children's children, their children's children, until someone is bold and steadfast enough to engage the battle well.
0: Those words that Father Michael shared really got me thinking about spiritual warfare from a generational perspective. You know, spiritual warfare doesn't start and end with our lives. It crosses over many, many generations. Demons can attach themselves to families. Children often suffer due to the sins of their parents, either in the environment that is created or by repeating learned sinful behavior. This is what the demons are ultimately after. This is the game that they play. They want to take as many of us down with them as possible, so they attack families through multiple generations. We must recognize this. We have to be aware of it. The goal and the strategy of the demons is long-term, and it's big picture. Our response needs to be the same. Our actions will shape our children's lives. Are we preparing them for their own spiritual battlefield? What we choose to do in those moments— Like the one Father Michael described at the breakfast table, those decisions will shape the battlefield for ourselves, for our children, and our children's children, and so on. We must also recognize where our own parents' brokenness has been passed on to us, so we can finally be that person who is bold and steadfast enough to engage the battle well, and to push back against the demons who may have been afflicting our families for generations.
1: I think yeah I think there's two ways to to think about it at least as I can discern it right now. You can either going with Father Michael's example you can you know you can give in to that temptation to blow up at your kid. Right? Showing anger, showing ferocity, right? Not using it in the right way or not taking a step back and thinking because that takes more strength ultimately than you know yelling at somebody. Yeah. Right? It's the same thing of if somebody's picking at you at school, or you know, you have an argument with your friend. It can be very, very easy to keep going back at them, yeah, because that's what you feel like you should do. You feel like you should not step away from a fight, but sometimes that bleeds over into our families. And I think the other way too is is to choose cowardice Mm. in a way. And I and I think the first option also brings in the idea of cowardice, right? Because you're you're picking the first thing that comes to your mind. Rather than thinking something through, thinking about it logically, setting a boundary or drawing a line in the sand, as it were, of I'm not going to go past this point because I know what it's going to lead to. Right? Everything starts very, very small, what may seem to be a mundane action, right? Not blowing up at your son or, you know, me not going back at my parents or going back at my own brother. Yeah. Right. That's where it starts small. Because I think all of us in our heads, we have this kind of grandiose Hollywood idea of what courage and valor and heroism all look like. And I think it's very, very small things. And especially in this age, when this is not the same culture that it was 70 years ago in the United States. And the culture of, of manhood has changed that doesn't mean that you and I have to go along with that or anybody listening has to go along with that. Mm -hmm. That means that we need to take a step back and realize, you know, what did those men do that made them something to admire, made them something to try and step up to the plate. Right. I heard a long time ago, try to be better than the man that came before you yeah. try to be better than your father taking in those things. I just think, you know, being able to be cognizant, being able to be self-aware, of your actions, being self-aware of how things impact other people, I think you know that can alter the trajectory of yourself It can alter the trajectory of your family. Like I don't have a family, but I recognize right now, you know, being out of school recently, not yet employed. Full disclosure, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm realizing now, and I've realized this for a long time, but now I can, I believe I I'm strong enough to take these steps. Is you know, if I ever do, God willing, have a family, if I ever do get married, God willing, each and every step I take from henceforth, I need to be cognizant of, not risk averse to, not afraid of, yeah. right? I can't create a fear that's down the road that may not even be there, but being able to construct the right way of treating temptation, the right way of reaction or lack of reaction, going forward. And I think that impacts everybody. And, you know, Michael, you have a family. I can imagine um, your impact as well on your own family and and their impact on you.
0: Yeah. And you really can start at any time. You know, once you start figuring these kinds of things out, it's never too late to start. You can start today. There are a lot of things that I didn't do so well early on when I started having children. It, it doesn't mean that because I didn't start out perfectly, I can't I can't get on the right track, right? right? It may be harder work because I didn't start as early as I wanted to. It's just like Great Lent. You may fast really well for the first week and then you fall off the rails, right? Mm -hmm. But the important thing is you get back. Or maybe you didn't fast at all for the first three weeks of Lent. You can still start fasting in week four. It's the same kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned earlier that I participated with our men's group in helping some families move from our parish just very recently here in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we had a moving day last Saturday and I brought my two sons with me to help out. And my sons are currently 15 and 12 years old. When they first heard they were going to have to come and help with moving somebody, they complained. And I wasn't surprised. I mean, I already said I wasn't really feeling it either. So of course they weren't all that excited. But, you know, instead of yelling at them or chastising them for not wanting to help out an elderly couple, I approached it in a very different way. On the drive over to the house, I asked my sons if they had heard about the school shooting that happened last week in Texas. They both said that they had. I probed a little bit more to hear what their teachers and their classmates had said about it at school. We went on to have one of the most important conversations that I think we've ever had while we were just driving to the family that was moving. I asked them why they thought these kinds of things happened. I asked them why they thought someone would want to shoot up a school and kill as many children as possible. We talked about nihilism, what it is and what it can lead to. We talked about the importance of staying vigilant and of protecting ourselves the best we can. But most importantly, we talked about what we were about to do. We were about to help an elderly couple to move who couldn't afford the move and who couldn't do it themselves. I told my sons that we were about to do the exact opposite of a mass shooting at a school. It's very easy to destroy, and it is hard to serve your neighbor. As we have said in this podcast, when we serve our neighbor, we find God, and we find ourselves. When we serve our neighbor, we also show people the love of God through our actions. People experience the love of God when we do what is difficult, what is right. Through prayer and service to neighbor, we hit the enemy hard. We bring light into the world and participate in routing the enemy, in routing the demons, all the way to the day of the final judgment. We need to take this spiritual war seriously. We need to fight alongside the angels and not just watch from the sidelines. All of us can join in the war at any time And we all have a part to play in fighting back against the devil and his demons.
1: I want to focus on the last thing that you said, Michael, in that we all have a part to play in fighting back. We in the world today exist in a culture that can seem pointless at times. Everything seems very mundane. Every action that we take is just going with the flow, participating in the rat race whatever analogy that you want to use, but every action that we perform is reflected in our eternal life. Every action that we perform is reflected in spiritual warfare. And it's not just a concept, it's, it's a reality. And us being who we are as human beings, we all will have our own struggles that are unique to us, but that doesn't mean we're alone in that fight. Every time we pray, we don't pray alone we pray with the saints. We may pray with our congregation on Sunday. Everything we do, we do in community. And this fight is something that will last our whole lives. Absolutely. But we have faith that we are not alone in it. We have faith that we're not going to give up. Even the things that seem the most mundane, even how you start your day, right? Not taking anything for granted, not doing anything without putting in maximum effort that you have at your disposal. Our old priest, Father John Atchison, told me once, everything you do, do with all your might. And to me, initially, I was like, what does that mean? Even the little things, even organizing my desk, even making my bed, even helping my mother do the dishes, whatever it may be, everything you do helps you understand who you are, and especially in helping others. Spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men, Father Hans, has said, you learn more about yourself through helping another. And I think that when we begin to realize that our life is not just about ourselves and our actions are not unique to just us, but everything that we do can impact someone else around us, whether it be good or ill, we have the ability to make choices and we have the ability to take a step back. We have the ability to pray pray. We have the ability to fight in the way that we are supposed to, because every single part that we have matters. And I hope that going forward, everyone listening, and even Michael and myself, that we can take this into account and remember it. When it comes time to go toe-to-toe, as it were, that we'll be ready for that. And if we fail, then we get back up and we go again.
0: Those are some great thoughts, Bryce. Thank you very much. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Remember to check our website at antiochianmen.org for frequent updates and to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that
1: website as well
0: as on our Amen YouTube channel.
1: Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, any of the major podcast platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, just to name a few. So be sure to follow us on the platform of your choice. We would also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it.
0: We do want to thank everyone who has continued to send us great feedback on our podcast episodes. If anyone would like to send us feedback, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for
1: us.